welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Oh, this hobby's one big adventure. Each game a new quest, gear up with meeples, stuff some cards into your bag of holding, and keep on gaming. Then join us, of course, to level up. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. Uh, yeah, you threw me off with that whole new beginning. Well, you, know, <laughs> you know what? We kind of have the uh, the 8-bit adventure RPG thing, and we're just we're kind of going, oh, hey, this is Patrick. <laughs> this is Scott. And, <laughs> and I feel like we need to we need to try and keep our our tacked on theme boy if if our podcast was a board game people would be like the theme is pasted on (laughs) (laughs) scott how's teaching treating you oh it's uh it's a treating me it's 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 been interesting it's been a fun uh little jaunt here so far i have a whole new well, I had a whole respect for them before, but I have a whole new higher respect for teachers. Hmm. Just what they go through, what they deal with, I, absolutely amazing. And I got to tell you, it's kind of funny whenever you walk around a school and you run into your wife because she's a teacher there. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so it turns out to be kind of fun. And then it's it's also a lot of fun whenever you're in the room as a extra set of hands for the classroom. You're standing mm-hmm. in the back of the room that's your wife's class. And there's a picture of you and your wife at the front. And the kids <laughs> are sitting there listening. And then every now and then you see a couple of them turn backwards and look at me and like, Wait look a back at her and then look back <laughs> at me. And then uh, we just seem to have a little fun. And uh, she's like, Mr. Walton, could you get the door for me, please? Why, Mrs. Walton, I would love to. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, and they all just went crazy. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I have news to report, right? Not not exactly oh. need to share on the podcast news, but who knows? Uh, Adventures, you'll recall, I smashed my finger in a coin vault not uh, oh. about, about a month ago. You remember we, uh, Ryan was – you guys were talking about working at the Fed and having to wear steel-toed boots because of things like, yes. hey, it's getting fingers caught in coin vaults. Today, the thumbnail came off. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. Yeah, it was a uh, while uh, later. <laughs> I know. Oh, geez. So. All right. All right. Adventurers, you cannot see this. This is bad radio, but I am freaking out right now because I hate the idea of missing nails. Oh, oh, that's great. I can't wait. I'm going to touch you with it. We're going to be, we're going to be oh, uh, gaming God. on Tuesday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Let's start this off like we always do. Some of the new stuff that's caught our eye. And boy, we've got some stuff going on, Scott. Namely, big one, Apiary from Stone Meyer Games. You check this one out yet? I haven't had a chance to. I've just been busy with a lot of other things. I saw a post in a post of a little bee and something with Stonemar Games. So I figured there was something a brewing. We got hyper intelligent bees. Take to outer space to build, explore, and grow. This is released by Stonemar Games, designed by Connie Vogelman, who Vo- Vogelman Vogelman. Not going to work here anymore. Uh, No design (laughs) credits under her name so far. So this looks like a first. Okay. Lean in a little bit, adventures. In a far distant future, humans no longer inhabit Earth. The cause of their disappearance, or perhaps their demise, is unknown. But their absence left a void ready to be filled by another sentient species. 
Over the span of untold generations, one species of the humble honeybee evolved to fill that void. They grew in size and intelligence to become a highly advanced society. They call themselves Melifera. Metaphera, and they have made substantial <laughs> technological advances in addition to the technology they adapted from human ruins up to and including space travel. All right, what, what's going on here? In Apiary, each player controls one of, ready for this, 20 unique factions. Your faction starts the game with a hive, a few resources, and some worker bees. It's a worker placement hive building challenge that awaits you. You're going to be exploring planets, gathering resources, developing tech, creating carvings to demonstrate your faction's strength over one year's flow. However, the dearth quickly approaches, and your workers can only take a few actions before they got to hibernate. Can you thrive or merely survive? Scott, it sounds like you got workers that you can only use a few times before they go away, and you got to find a way to keep those workers coming so you can keep generating your resources and probably move up tracks or unlock tech, that sort of thing. But I like the sound of this, and I love the sound of 20, 20 different factions. Yeah, that's something amazing there to come out with 20 right out of the gate instead of like, here's eight. Oh, by the way, you can buy another expansion for this, another expansion for that. Getting 20 in the original box, that just builds the excitement for me in a game there, thinking that so much thought went into it. You have that many choices to go into because a lot of times you wait for the expansion to come out and you play those same four races or whatever that you have, you get kind of tired of it and the game kind of floats away out of your radar. Mm -hmm. Now having 20 all at once, that thing's going to be planted on your table for months. I love that idea. Dude, I'm checking out pictures. This game looks cool. Anything Stonemaier always looks really nice. This looks really nice. They got these Big-ass bumblebees on those floating standees, like a standee that's oh. clear with the little clear peg, and there's a bee, so you yes, get these yes. hovering bees. <clears throat> they got little dice uh, that look like they go one through four, and the other two sides of the die, it's a D6. The other two sides are like the bee's head and the bee's butt, and you like rotate it, I'm guessing, to, to track something wow. or other. This looks amazing on a table. So. I was going to reach out to Stonemaier. I was like, well, I got to get in touch with Jamie. He's friends with us, right? We, we know Jamie. He gave us congrats <laughs> on our episode 100. He's a listener. Yes, he Adventurers, did. Adventurers, you got something in common with Jamie Stegmeyer. I was like, I'm going to reach out to him and see if we can't get Apiary in advance so that we can play it and talk about it and all that fun stuff. Maybe get Jamie back on the show. And it occurred to me like, wait, he probably gets thousands of these. And he does. I went to the website. I went to Stonemaier Games and I signed up for their three years in. I, I finally did what we should have done on episode two, and that is sign up for the Stonemeyer Games. We want to review your game's mailing list, right? That's why I was like, how yeah, come, yeah. why are these other people getting Jamie's games and we're not? Well, that's that's why. So we're signed up and hopefully that uh, that yields something. What you got, King? Well, Rogue Angels, the game we covered back in episode 46, mm -hmm. way back in the before times, actually funded. So it is good to go. If you remember, Rogue Angels is a character-driven solo or co-op sci-fi adventure for one to four players where you merge tactical combat with fluent turns and action management with asymmetric abilities where you fight behavior-driven enemies through combined card and dice play. In easier terms, you're on a spaceship hiding around playing space ninjas trying to get things done, and it looks freaking awesome. <laughs> so congrats to those guys for that, because I remember we were checking that out, and that one, it was just really super, super cool. I really enjoyed that one there, and I'm glad that they funded. 
I like that they found a way to drip feed story. So often, so often with a dungeon crawler, you read this wall of text, all this text, mm-hmm. and then you basically just do a combat scenario of some sort. In the case of Rogue Angels, it was like you read some text and it's like, okay, here's, here's the setting. Here's what's going on. Go hack the computer. Right. And you start playing. You hack that computer and it's like, okay, now we get to read this next thing. Like all within one mission, you get bits of story. So it's like, oh, we're not, we're not finishing with the theme portion and then going into number crunching. You know what I mean? We're doing a mm-hmm. little bit of both, a little back, a little forth. And I like that. I thought that was really cool. Congrats to them on the funding. Scott, I got one that uh, I'm going to challenge you to pronounce. You in front of a computer? I most certainly am. Okay. I want you to look up SideQuest Nemesis. I know you're not the uh, keenest on Nemesis Lockdown, but you do enjoy regular Nemesis. This one is SideQuest Nemesis, and it looks like it's a puzzle game. Uh, Think like the Escape Tales series. It's from the same designers. Uh, So think puzzles, enigmas, like uh, Game in a Box, Unlock. Well, Escape Tales. Let's just keep it with what it is. And it's in the Nemesis universe. This is not a Nemesis mm-hmm. game. This is an, like an escape room game in the Nemesis universe. Very cool theme. My challenge to you, yes. look at the alternate names. Yeah. I'm guessing this is Polish. Yeah. Okay, go ahead and pronounce that. This is how we say, this is how King <coughs> Scott says side quest <clears throat> in Polish. All right, all right. Melakulidetitetes <laughs> Nemesis. <laughs> Very good. Very good. We'll take it. <laughs> Nevertheless, I want to get my hands on that. It's from Awaken Realms uh, and Board and Dice. Both have both have a track record at this point. I'm going to play anything they, they put out there because worst case, there's only been a game or two for me. So I'm like, okay, that was good. You know what I mean? That is still a mm-hmm. pretty darn good rating for me. Like, oh, that, that's a six and a half out of 10. That's a seven out of 10. And the idea that they're making it like an escape room. That sounds pretty normal. And I'm sorry, the box cover just drew me in immediately. Hmm. Uh, Just the astronaut there with the gun up and all that fog and they're walking. You don't know what's coming up. That just draws me right into it there. So that, that looks great. Oh, one to four players. I uh, got to wonder how many missions are in the box. We probably should have read into this a little bit more. Oh, here we go. Let's see. Somebody says, is this a one-time play? The only response that gives any sort of direction, somebody says, it would have to be. The point is that it would not be uh, – that it would be good to see more games like this with the uh, Awaken Realms IP in addition to Nemesis. Mm-hmm. So we're going to guess for right now that it's a one-shot uh, without knowing. I'm still in. I'm totally in on that. Definitely. I mean, you look at it, one to four players – one unit could be like four different characters that they have. Another game to come out, four different characters, four different types of characters. Yeah, they could really build on that. I mean, on a spaceship, on a base, on like whenever they started doing the Die Hard movies, it was like Die Hard on a boat, Die Hard in a building, Die Hard on a plane and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> just do Nemesis on whatever it is then. And I'll be a buyer. Well, let's just start off with the game here first. The game is called Civolution. Hello, student beings. The Cosmic Faculty of the Technical Academy of Creation is delighted to welcome you to your Civolution, the final exam in civilization design. For this occasion, we prepared a humanoid scenario on an isolated continent. Here you, each of you holds the rank of local deity... Well, of course, I'm going to be a god, uh, <laughs> of course. which is closely linked to its very own civilization and must lead it to success over the other civilizations. When the exam ceases after four eras, whoever managed to gather the most success points will not only pass the exam, but will become a full member of the Technical Academy of Creation and garner the opportunity to be promoted to the next instance. 
Okay. So, okay. So, civilization, it's, it's, it's evolution and civilization combined, smashed together. I get that. What's the gameplay? What's going on in this? This one ought to like really appeal to you. It's a medium to heavy Euro style game that utilizes a dice selection mechanism to trigger actions on a tech tree like structure. That hmm, does appeal to the me. Sun. It's got a little chubby. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> As you figure out how to best use your dice and put your unique cards into play, tons of strategy and paths to victory emerge. Now, the other thing that we need to unveil is Stefan Feld. <laughs> So, yes, <laughs> whenever I hear Steffenfeld, I'm in immediately. It's just one of those things that draws me in. I love it. You can expect there will probably be a rondelle on there someplace. Mm-hmm. But absolutely love the idea of this. It looks like a lot of fun. No pictures for it yet. But that's due out in 2024. But something to whet the appetite for things to come in the near future. Yeah, I could get on board with a, with a Feld game. The thing that makes me – the only thing of the gameplay that you said that I was like, oh, is um oh, dice selection like with a uh, Coimbra? I I like Coimbra. It's dice selection. Depending on how deep they go with that, it almost becomes an information overload factor. Like if I'm yeah. if we're rolling twenty dice, right, and they're different colors and they have different numbers on them, and and like like in Coimbra, I think you you have like a dozen, right, and you're just taking turns drafting them. But it's like. Okay, so I know I want gray. There's a gray five, but there is a six. A six is in yellow. If I go with that, it gives me that like trying to map out in your mind what your turn looks like based on what you do becomes very difficult. I hope that's not like the focal point of the game is these dice. Right, I hope yeah. that's just like a, a minor mechanism through which other things function. But hey, that that sounds cool. Most definitely. I'm I'm really looking forward to that there. Star Trek Armada? You meant Star Wars. No, 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 my friend. Just happened to be going through different pages on Facebook and something appeared that looked a little bit odd. I saw Star Trek Amarda and I'm like, oh, wait, they totally messed that one up. And I looked and no, they didn't. There are plans from WizKids to come out with a Star Trek Armada-like game. This will be the Federation versus Dominion. And the ships are freaking huge. Um, the Enterprise D comes apart from the saucer section in the battle bridge. You've got the Jemadar. You've got all these big ships. And you got that this Borg is cube? one of those games. I'm sorry? You got that Borg cube? Wait, that's not one of the oh, factions. Oh, not yet. But my God, if it's like to scale with the rest of these things here, that's going to be like a refrigerator sitting in a corner of the room. <laughs> Borg Cube was really big. Oh, my goodness gracious, yes. But then okay. again, they made a Super Star Destroyer for uh, Star Wars Armada, so anything's possible. Yeah, I've played the uh, miniatures games with uh, Attack Wing, Star Trek Attack Wing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fun and all. It's a good time, but... You always wanted to get something bigger like the Star Wars version Armada. And this just looks, oh, once again, plastic, you're pulling those reins in on me again. Hey, plastic's had a way with uh, you lately. Oh, it has. I, I That'll come up later there, but. Okay, fair enough, um, fair enough. Well, yeah. you know what? While we're on Star Trek Armada, I think I've asked you this before and I forget the answer. Star Trek or Star Wars? What's your preference? Boy, it's so tough because there's so many things out there that are fun. I, I'm one of those ones that's, depending on what day it is, I could go either way. Okay, fair enough. Diplomatic answer. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? That's I, fair. That That is a good answer. It's not one that I can definitely say that, I, I mean, we just watched the latest Ahsoka uh, episode and I'm like, mm, I'm all Star Wars. Yeah, forget Star Trek. 
tomorrow I'll watch the new Lower Decks. I'm like, oh, Star Trek, that's awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm finical, finical, finicky that way. Adventures, if you're in the Pittsburgh area, you've heard us talk about PGX, the Pittsburgh Gaming Expo. Scott, we got our list. We got demos. Okay, first off, I'm so excited for this. Teacher Ryan's coming in from Jersey. Jason's going to help yep. us out. Mike and I are going to get there Saturday morning. We're allowed to go in like two hours early. So we have it in mind. Woo-hoo. We are going. We are going to beat Sunset Riders because you don't have to pop in coins. <laughs> if you die, you just hit the button. So like you can't lose. You know, it, it's impossible. We're like, we're going to beat this because we haven't beat it since we were both like nine. <laughs> right? we, that's our, that is our main plan is we're going to beat that. We got a class board set up. I got a mega dice tower that people can drop in dice. And if you hit a 20, you get extra raffle tickets. We got games to give away. Nice. We're going to be demoing Wolf. Wolfenstein, the, the the fully painted version, right? Wolfenstein oh, yeah. 3D, the board game. Mega Man Adventures, the co-op that you and I played just uh, mm-hmm. just this past week. And Unmatched, that's going to be Saturday from 2 to 6, Sunday 1.30 to 4. Those are our demo times. But if you're in the area and you do stop by PGX September 30th, October 1st, we'd love to see you. Come by the booth, say hi. And you know what? There's open gaming each night after well, – more so Saturday than Sunday. I think uh, they're going to shut things down around 6 or 7 o'clock. But Saturday, man, once we close up that vendor hall, we are going to be gaming all night. Yeah, it's it's a great time. We had such a ball last last year and everything doing this. Still remembering Wiz going to us like, wow, you board gamers really do bring it. Because we were still there. All the video gamers had left. It was just hey, oh, board the, gamers. The rest left of the, the hall place. was empty. <laughs> it was so, great. Yeah, it definitely. Was- there's like board game takeover. <laughs> it's going to be a great time. There's going to be a great library there. All sorts of fun. All sorts of laughs. Lots of games to give away. It's going to be a fantastic time. Definitely be there. All right, Scott. We got recent adventures. We've got a review of the 2023 new version of Princes of Florence on the dock. We're going to look back at Rise of the Gnomes. We've got two games enter, one game leave, and a top five. We got to get this going. Woo! One of the most popular games in the hobby, and the oldest in the BGG Top 100, is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm-hmm. for adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. King, you left too early when Jason and his wife were here. What, that was like two weeks ago now. Time flies. Holy crap. Oh, well, yes. We came over. We all had just a, a wonderful little game day. The uh, the four of us, great times, but I'm telling you, you left a little early. We had one more game on the docket, and I wish you were a part of it. It's the John Moyer Trail. Moyer? Meyer? Muir. 
Muir? Muir. I remember that from uh, whenever I was a kid. The Ghost in Mrs. Muir was a TV show they had with a a ghost in Mrs. Muir. Google it. I did while you were saying that, and I wasn't paying any attention to you, but I found out that it is, in fact, Muir. So think like, well, it's just Muir. The John Muir Trail. It's an (laughs) epic 211-mile trail in the Sierra Nevada mountains that extends from Yosemite to Mount Whitney, the tallest peak in the lower 48 states. The John Moore Trail is named after naturalist John Moore, founding member and original president of the Sierra Club. Construction on the trail began in 1915, a year after his death. It took 46 years to complete this trail. How about that? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we got the John Moore Trail. This is called Trailblazer. The John M- M- Boy, I'm going to fumble <laughs> on that. <laughs> We're going to call it Trailblazer. So it's designed by Dan Rice the Third, and it comes from Mariposa Games in 2023. Now, you might know Mariposa Games from other hits such as... Well, this is their first, so... <laughs> So, so with no idea of what to expect, Jason slaps us on the table and off on the trail we went from the, sometimes, safety of my basement. All right, goal of the game is to get your hiker to the end of the trail in 12 game rounds and have the most points. So you can't win if you don't get to the end of the trail. You just lose. You're a terrible person. Now, you've got uh, you got 12 rounds. There's basically 10 spaces to move. So there's a couple of rounds that you don't have to move. Interestingly enough, though, uh, you have weather tiles that you draw from a bag that might require an extra resource to move. Like on a scalding hot day, it's going to take an extra water resource, for example. Okay. Plus, you've got your own personal deck of cards that show you your requirements for travel on day one, day two, day three, etc. So moving one space usually means needing a resource. Sometimes it means another one. Plus, at the end of the round, everyone's got to eat. So you got to spend food, you got to spend what, like eat and drink, food and water every turn. Basically, the trail's constantly demanding resources from the players so they can keep going, which we would expect. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is a worker placement game. Players each have three workers. They're going to play one at a time around the table, collecting the benefits of whatever action they choose. And then whenever everybody's out of out of, out of of workers, the round ends. Simple. We've seen that before. What are the spaces? Obviously, several spaces have resources. Easy. We're not going to belabor that point. You've also got uh, your movement space where you can visit just once each round, and that moves your hiker along the trail. So there's your basic, okay, here's how we're fighting back with the need to survive. Where the game gets interesting is the field guide cards, the destination cards, and the backpack equipment. Field guide cards, they feature uh, like the flora, the fauna, the river crossings, where you're going to get some of the theme. When you're placing in that spot, you get to choose from this shifting market of five cards, adding it to basically your score pile. They typically give you some sort of resource benefit plus an item for your backpack. Speaking of which, there's 12 backpack items that you can acquire. And every time you get three of them, there's like a little bonus for you, an extra resources, some points, that sort of thing. And in the latter stage of the game, sometimes when you hike the trail, you're going to need a specific item in your backpack. Like uh, the, the last like five steps at the beginning of the game, there's five items randomly placed. So if it says you got to have the uh, the Swiss Army knife, well, you got to have the Swiss Army knife by the time you get there or else you're going to take damage. What I really like is if you already have the equipment that you're being rewarded, like a card you pick gives you that pocket knife, but you've already got one, you don't get another one. Instead, you move this little tent. You have an elevation track, all right? It's this track at the bottom of the board with a little tent meeple, a teeple, if you will, and it just moves down the the teeple track. This is where you're going to find the means of picking up some of the big endgame bonuses like set collection rewards, like, oh, you got this many flora cards. But it also is where you're going to potentially unlock a fourth 
or a fifth worker. Now, the last thing I want to mention are the destination cards. Basically, it's a placement space where you can trade in excess resources to snap a photo, taking a card in your scoring area and getting some resource rewards, equipment for your backpack, that sort of thing. Again, Scott, it's 12 rounds of play, at the end of which players who reach the end of the trail, they're going to tally up their final scores and the high score wins. It sounds like a fun game. It, it sounds like, I want to say, an enjoyable game. That's sure. That's what I want out of these kind of games here. Now, whenever you're playing this, what does the art like? Does the art kind of make you feel like you're on a trek, or is it just kind of like, here's a map, go? We're thinking theme, yeah. What does it, what's the art? Well, let's go. How about art and components? We'll touch on both because they're both. It's very a mini eight bit. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's a mini eight bit. It's our bit number one breakdown for this game. The art's fantastic. The art is truly fantastic. It's the focal point of the game, I would say. The fauna cards are beautiful. The river crossings are nice. The destination cards are like tarot-sized cards. It's just – it's phenomenal. The layout of the board, the coloring. You've got these these really nice pastels with rich emerald foresty greens and browns. The components in this, like the discs, the first player disc and whatnot, they're uh, – Jason's like, oh, yeah, and you got these nice chunky discs. They're, I think they're plastic or, or acrylic. So I grabbed one. And I was like, I know that smell. <laughs> the, the discs are those laser cut wood discs. They still have that like kind of charred mm. smell to them. I, I yes, love that. Yes. And they're you know, painted on each side. That little deck of cards that you have for like each day, like what extra resource do I need? That's different mm-hmm. from player to player. Now you're not going to find much. There's no art on there. There's just a symbol. But it's got one of those like key rings holding it together. So it's almost like a like a flip through booklet. Oh, I remember seeing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Components in here are fantastic. You get the teeple and it's actually a little teeple. Your hikers have the uh, the acrylic on uh, not the acrylic. They've got the laser printing so that they look like a hiker. Art components uh, they they evoke the theme tremendously. It's a highlight of the game. Okay, a lot of times these are kind of made as like like what was the one I was playing trekking the national parks mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's one of those games where yeah you can get into it if you're a gamer or if you're not a gamer you still have enough fun into it but. Being a gamer, how's the complexity? Does it keep you really entertained the whole time? Or is it just kind of like, you just kind of like lose interest as you go along? You know what? I'll touch on that in a moment. Let me address complexity first, because you mentioned uh, trekking, trekking the national parks. Uh, I think of like trails, you know, some some of these nature thing games, they're very welcoming. They're like, okay, I can get my spouse who's not a gamer to play this, or I can show this to my friends. Parks. Oh yeah. Parks. That's the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Parks is, it's actually pretty simple. Parks is a little bit more so than, than a little bit heavier than trekking or trails, for example, but still a simple game. This one's not an, an overly complex game. It's not complex by any means, but it does fall into that middle weight where I think it's going to be more, I think a gamer is going to be more comfortable with it and probably enjoy it more than the other ones because they're not going to feel like, oh, this is overly simple. You have a mm, little bit okay. more, uh, we'll say, more branches on the decision tree, and I like that. But I'll, I'll conclude with uh, what you started to mention. You know, does it does it keep you engaged the whole time? Uh, we'll go with downsides. Uh, first off, let me just say I do like this game, uh, and I had a really good time playing it. Uh, small downside might be that the decisions sometimes aren't challenging. You know, I said, oh, you have some more branches on that tree, but if you need mm-hmm. water before the end of this round, it's pretty obvious I'm going to go step on this spot for water. Uh, usually, you're going to have an easy time getting those resources. You just have to take the time to go there. That backpack, it fills up with equipment pretty quickly. Like, 
Uh, I think, okay, you know, we're going to play this game and by the end of it, I might only have five of the items. I think all three of us in our playthrough had the backpack completely full. Maybe one person was short one item, but it, it wasn't particularly challenging. Point is, though, I think some folks are going to like that because you're not getting beat down by the game. So it's not a huge right. downside. What is kind of a downside for me, though, is this this game is long, Scott, for what it offers. Mm, um, okay. A lot of the time is spent doing the same thing, collecting resources, trading them for cards and equipment, then spending a few to hike the trail at the end of the turn. And that's okay. But by the seventh or eighth round, peak excitement, peak Hiking peak. <laughs> Get it? Peak excitement, I feel like it's been had. And those last few rounds are kind of a slog where like it's got well, let's let's call it anticlimactic. Like you just finished the last round, you you reach the end of the trail, you're collecting things to maybe get that one last card. Maybe mm, you do, maybe yeah. you don't, and then you tally up the scores. Again, I liked it. Uh that's probably not a deal breaker for me. I'm still down to play it when it's on the table, but I don't think I'm adding it to my buy list either, because it and I want to say we were approaching two and a half, maybe three hours, and I would have oh, loved wow. it at like an hour 45. But no, yeah. that was with a teach. You know, it'd be true, quicker true. next yes, time. Yes. But it did feel a little rote by the end of it. Okay. All in all, yep, yep. solid game though. I did enjoy it. Don't let that uh, cloud opinions. The production's fantastic. The theme comes through tremendously. It is approachable for starting to get into gaming types and for gamers you're going to be really comfortable with this one. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I was kind of upset that I left whenever I saw that was coming out. It kind of drew me in a little bit. But yeah, had other things on my mind that day and just couldn't focus that much. So I, but I'll have to check that out if they have it with them again. Yeah, I'd recommend giving it a try. Trailblazer, the John Moyer Trail. What do you have, King? Well, as I said, I've had other things on my mind. And once again... We're going to just leave you a little bit of breadcrumbs here saying, I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Mm. But in order to deal with those and deal with teaching and everything, I'd like to get serious here for a moment. I've had a relapse. Uh Uh-oh. I didn't really want to do it, uh, but um, the lure of the plastic crack has drawn (laughs) me back in here. I knew that's where this is going to end up. I dove in headfirst into Star Wars Shadow Shatterpoint. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. I've missed it so much. Oh, let's start uh, here. I, what, what did you buy? Oh, well, I got the base set. That comes with uh, a, a, a large amount of stuff. I mean, you've got, what, I think, uh, one, two, three, four, 16 characters plus a bunch of terrain. So you're good to go. Well, I couldn't stop there. I had to go out and buy the General <laughs> Grievous pack with General Grievous and a couple B2 droids in it. And I couldn't stop there. And I had to go get the Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> one with Commander Cody and, and a couple clone troopers and had to get some paints. It was fulfilling. But no, in all seriousness, it was something I definitely needed. There was just a lot of things going on. And just the sitting down and painting this. Now, the game of Shatterpoint is really very, very cool because there is Star Wars Legion out there. And that is going to be more of your Warhammer type of Star Wars game. Mm -hmm. Fun game, good times. You're going to have a lot of figures out there. Shatterpoint is more of a kill team type of game where you have maybe eight figures on each side that you're playing. You're going out, you're trying to force the 
the power of the force to one side or the other. Mm-hmm. You have different objectives you have to find. Uh, I haven't played anything yet. I'm still doing the painting and everything, but they're a little bit larger than your normal Warhammer size figures, your D&D figures. So they're about the same size as Marvel Crisis Protocol. So you can get a lot of good detail on them. You get a lot of great ways to paint these things. The troopers look great. I'm just looking at my Anakin figure right now. Looks really just so cool. Can't wait to paint some more. But uh, it's just one of those times you just need to stop and think. You need to do something for yourself and just and just kind of like let your mind unwind a little bit. This has been an absolute dream to be able to do that uh, with so many different things here going on with running around doing the teaching thing now and lots of changes going on right now. But uh, yeah, Shatterpoint. So I haven't had a chance to really play that many games, but I'm prepping for a lot of games in the future. Well, you know what? Our review lineup for the next, geez, like month and a half is already... It's already determined, basically. We've got some things in that we've got to uh, to get to the table. We've told publishers, yeah, we'll you know we'll, we'll get this on the show, mm-hmm. get a review in. So while we do like to do the games that we want to do, we got some really cool stuff coming in. So that'll give us plenty of time to uh, to play some Shatterpoint <laughs> in the meanwhile, and you know maybe hit that one after we're uh, after we're through some of the ones that that we've been waiting to get and antsy to talk about. Most definitely. And I will definitely get units. You can tell me like what units you're interested in playing. I will make sure that they are painted and ready for you to try. You know what? I saw some of your painting. It's looking, it's looking really good. It's coming along nice. Thank you. Thank you very much there. Yeah. We still have to work on our uh, mechs for battle tech here. Our little paint off challenge here that we were doing. You know what? I have the beginner box. Will has already done like four or five. I'm sure you already have plenty and I'm sure you've got gray plastic ready to go. I can get we don't all have to do the same model, and we can do it remotely. Let's make it mm-hmm. happen in October. We're, we're really good at saying we're going to do something. <laughs> 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 like play War of the Ring and Star Wars Rebellion together. Oh, my goodness, yes. I think this is one that's going to happen. You know what it'll be? Because Will and Josh are going to get in on it. We ought to talk to Ryan and see if Andrew wants to join us, too. We can mm-hmm. all – we, then we'll all collectively share the pictures, maybe put it up for uh, for adventurers to – Oh, yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's what I've been doing there with that. So I haven't really had a chance to play that much because I've also been learning those games that we're going to be doing here in the near future and trying to get a lot of those under my belt and easy to digest and teach you then. You don't have the excuse of the Renaissance Festival this year, so you had to come up with other things on the fly. I see how it is. Let me tell you, having a weekend free in the fall is amazing. <laughs> Scott Gen Con 2023 will be remembered for one thing and one thing only, and that is I had nothing to do with it. I swear to God. <laughs> well, I guess it's going to be two things. One of which is going to be the theft of three hundred thousand dollars worth of magic cards. But put that aside. The one thing, if you to ignore that that happened, the one thing that it'll be remembered for is the running of the nerds right to. Disney Lorcana, the Ravensburger mm-hmm. booth. Now we avoided the the hullabaloo. Was it, what do you think? A hullabaloo or a hootenanny? What's Gen Con? Where does it rank? Oh, I think the way that it that it was handled and watching people run, it sounds more like a hootenanny. A hootenanny. Okay, okay yeah. fair enough. We avoided the entire hootenanny that was, but imagine thousands, thousands of adult men. <laughs> 
<laughs> pushing, shoving. There were animals. There were animals released. They had a building collapse. And no less than 17 people died trying to get their hands on Disney Lorcana. Mm. I actually heard there was a rumor that there was a sighting of the Titanic there as well. Too. <laughs> Scott, you and I both have had the opportunity to get Now, I said initially, I was like, I'm totally going to get a booster box of this and just put it in a closet and forget about it. The problem is you can't get a booster box for under $240 or something absurd. Everybody's all about getting their hands on Lorcana. I'm glad to say I went to the vault. I messaged Brett. I was like, hey man, you know, I started scratching at my neck. It's like, y'all got any of that Lorcana, man? I need my <laughs> fix, man. Because they didn't have any left at SCG. They had some left at the vault, came home, showed my wife. I was like, check this out. And she was like, ooh, Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it got weird. It got weird. But after that, we decided we would actually like open and play the game and play with the cards and whatnot. So just a quick overview for those of you that have not looked into it. Disney Lorcana is a CCG, a trading card game, wherein players build a deck and they compete, they play, they try and get the most lore points, the story points by the end of the game, trying to get to 20. First one to get to 20 is going to win the game. And how do we do that? They have that really cool system by which when you draw your open your opening seven cards, rather than having mana, rather than having lands, you can play most cards. Not any card, but most cards can be played face down. That's your ink well. That's your ink, right? It's basically it's a land. If you've played magic, it's land. If you play Pokemon, it's energy. You know what, what we're mm -hmm. talking about here. You've got your characters, they all have a little cost. You can just <laughs> you can use the non-copyright infringing tap. The, uh, you know, it, it's got to be great for like Disney to be like, oh, crap, we're the ones that have to worry about infringing on an yeah. IP. <laughs> Take that. But you can you can use your ink. You can exhaust the ink to play a character. And the characters typically have oftentimes some minor ability when they come into play. But you can right. tap them on future turns to gain story points. The better creatures tend to gain more story points. Or you can use them to challenge one of your opponent's tapped creatures so if it's my turn and i use a creature for story points on your turn you can be like well i could use mine for story or i could smack uh i don't know lilo over there <laughs> i give lilo a spanking on pat's side of the table and, and and wipe her out so he stops getting all those story points right scott it's relatively simple aside from that you've got items which if you've played magic those are artifacts uh, and it's got uh, it's got basically spells which are your instants and and interrupts sorceries and magic no instants actually really they're sorceries I, I don't think I've run into a card yet that can be played on your opponent's turn you're pretty much left alone when it's your turn right right yeah lastly they do have some ways to cheat in some of these big sorceries and it's by singing a song and I love this for the theme I haven't haven't played enough to find any cards that are broken. I understand one of them plays like a Wheel of Fortune, which in Magic is a, everyone discards a hand and draws seven new. It's a notoriously very powerful ability. And I understand that there is one in Lorcana. And when you sing a song, let's say the card is called uh, Under the Sea, right? And typically mm -hmm. the song cards are, in fact, based on famous Disney right, songs. Right, yeah. What the songs do is it says you can tap ink to do this and play this for, say, I don't know, four mana, or you can use one of your creatures with a power, a cost of four or greater. Like, well, I played this a couple turns ago. It costs four ink to get it into play. Well, I can tap it for story points. I can tap it to challenge one of your guys, or I can tap it to sing a song and play my Under the Sea for free. 
That's Lorcana. That's Lorcana. You played a 20. First person to get there wins the game. I understand you and Heather have had some some good times building decks, playing around with it. What do you think so far? We played it a couple times, and it's just a delightful little game. It's one of those games where it's more than just playing rummy or something like that with the deck of cards. There is some more strategy with it. You, I haven't really done anything. We just played with the starter decks, mm-hmm. and we played those out. It's a fun little game where you have some decisions. It's not... I'm going to come out here. I'm going to fight you. I like the whole idea of trying to collect the lore. What are you going to use that uh, card for? Hey, it's pretty good. It could do some damage to some uh, some of the other characters there. But you could get some more lore and get closer to winning if you don't mm-hmm. attack with it. So it kind of shows the whole idea. Maybe not fighting isn't the best idea all the time. Trying to get that little, you know, teaching moment in the game and everything. It's a fun little game with a lot of characters that kids and Disney adults all love. I mean, there's so many characters that people love from Disney movies. I don't really see anything that really draws it all together and gives like a whole, I don't want to say here, a combined story. It's not like a a world. It's just like a bunch of pictures of different Disney characters that they have on the cards there. Sure, sure. I'd like to see it be a little bit different where they brought it together to make a world where this battle was happening. But for what it is, it's it's a fun little game. And I know that they just announced the second segment as well. And that one looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Apparently doing a restock in October. So this game was released, I think it was September 1st, and I could not find any in Target, Walmart, any of the box stores. You could find like a pack on Amazon was 15, a starter was 35 or something. So back to my story, I brought home those two starter decks from the vault and uh, set them down on the table. And I would have got all three, gotten all three, but they were out. The one that has Moana in it, they didn't have any, Um, which I really wanted that one because my daughter's been, she's been on this huge Moana kick lately. Never mind that. (laughs) I put those two decks out and I was like, all right, Chris, here's the deal. They sold them to me for 20 a piece. They were only like $2 above MSRP. They were like, look, we, we have to, we're a business. And yeah. I, re- I respect that because they, they could, by rights, they could have been charging 35 oh, yeah. and they would have sold. So 20, I was perfectly fine with that. I was like, Chris, I can either, I can list both of these and make 30 bucks today. There's a pack in each of them though. If, you know, if we open these, we can play with the two decks. The packs are 15 each. I can, basically, we can be in Lorcana for $10 and we just sell the two packs and, you know, we're open them and we're flipping through the cards. We're like, oh, look at that. You know, and you know how when your spouse gets interested in a game instantly in our brain, it's like, well, I'm going to go hog wild and play everything with this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She was showing interest. And then, and then the pack, the pack sitting, you know, like in the starter deck box, there's that pack. Mm-hmm. And I swear it just had that extra little sparkle. And, you know, we, oh, we look no. at the, we look at the pack and we look at each other and we look at the pack, like tear that shit open. <laughs> <laughs> she starts sorting she's talking about oh i'm gonna put these in you know card pages or put i have that the magic card holder picture things on the wall with yeah. all the power and the duels she's like i'm gonna do that with the disney cards like we're having a blast with these <laughs> that said the game the game itself it's all right you know i haven't played enough this isn't a review but my first impression is like well this is simple i like that it's welcoming do i think mm-hmm. that you know adults need to be losing their mind to go get a hold of this and paying triple what it should cost no and it's not it's not that good you know if you want a really good game that's competitive that you can really sink your teeth into 
I hate to say it, play Magic the Gathering. <laughs> that's that that's that's where I come back to. But I will say I'm flipping through these cards and I'm like, you know, playing a couple rounds with my wife. And I'm like, okay, that card's basically trash. Like if you've come yeah, from yeah. the CCG background, it's really easy to say, well, that card's basically junk. There's no reason to ever play this mm-hmm. card. Oh, this one's really efficient. I can drop it on turn two and it, it does two story points. I could just try and play an aggressive deck and just hammer those out real quick. And you start to see those little interactions that there's a part of me that's like, I want to build. You know, I want to I want to create mm-hmm. a deck and I want to see what I can make of it. Then the reservations, there's only two. There's two main reservations. One, this strikes me as a game. And I've read a few things that are like those super ultra mega rare mythics. Mm-hmm. that's where the good cards are. I don't know yeah. that to be true, but I've read like, you know, oh, if my two power guy costs two, uh, two ink to play, well, the super rare mythics, they're three power and they only cost one. You know, one of those like imbalances yeah, yeah. based. Two, the internet exists. Like you can't play in a competitive tournament and play your own deck anymore. You know, you have to, mm-hmm. you have to read, read, read and pilot a pros deck or a deck list that's been doing really well. Maybe they, maybe if they did sealed tournaments, I would love to maybe do a sealed tournament. Just give it a try. See how it goes. I was at SCG one day and we were getting ready to play some games and somebody came in and they were looking to see if they were starting to sell any singles or anything yet. Mm-hmm. And no, nope, no, nope, we're not doing that. Uh, we're not going to be selling singles. And and I understand. And I was talking to this gentleman, and there he's like, "Have you played anymore?" And I'm like, "No, I haven't been able to find it." He's like, "Oh, my buddy went out. He like camped out at Target before they even opened. Went in, bought everything." We well, that's why they like didn't have any hours. at Target. He's like, we were playing for like nine hours on Saturday. I'm like, oh, so you're the fun suckers going out there taking all this stuff. So no one else has a chance to play this at all. I I want to thank you personally for my enjoyment of this game that I can't play. Uh, Supply and demand. Uh, Don't don't hate the player, hate the game. That only happened because, uh, because Ravensburger screwed up. Well, I think it's something that Target should have put a limit on, like, okay, you can buy this and this, uh, instead maybe. of just, because he went in, he just like, oh, you have this whole setup here, I will buy it all. Give me that pallet. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's what he did. It's it's a no-risk purchase, because you could just resell oh, yeah. half of it, make your money, keep the other half, and, okay, Scott, a year from now, a year from now, we've seen Star Wars Destiny. It was the hottest thing. You couldn't get your hands on it for mm-hmm. like six months. People going crazy for this game. And two years later, dead. D-E-D, yes. dead. Where do we see Lorcana? Now, this is this has broad appeal. You know, this this isn't totally you – know, people love Disney. But you know what? People love Star Wars too. This mm-hmm. is a little bit lighter, a little bit simpler. Where do we see this, say, a year from now and five years from now? What do you think? I would say if they support it with organized play and have that working well and have good prize support for that, I see this going on for a while. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at Pokemon, it's still very popular. People are playing it. It's still going on, but it's not a really in-depth game. So I say that they have organized play. It will stick around. If they don't have that or have any sort of support Helping this game along, mm-hmm. it's gonna no, it's gonna be in a bargain bin in no time. I don't see it would make it for five years. Okay, fair enough. That's why you, you know what I agree. Organized play might be the uh, might be the make or break. Yep, yep. Time will tell. No, wait a minute. 
Wait a minute. Whose bright idea was it to have him wearing a Mickey Mouse jersey, too? <laughs> he got Lorcana crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Scott, it's time for the Top 100 Update Prime. Movers Heat, pedal to the metal, up three spots to number 60. Falling Stars, Lahav is down three to number 65. No changes in the top 10. New highest peaks. These games are higher than they've ever been. Cascadia up to number 46. Boy, that one slowed down a bit. Ooh, you know, I feel like over yeah, the last three years yeah. when we started and it came out, that thing was like every week we were going, oh yeah, Cascadia up again, Cascadia up again. Kanban right. EVs up to number 52. Frosthaven number 59. Heat pedal to the metal, of course, at number 60. Obsession is up to number 85 the search for planet x up to number 91 and inish uh i don't know if it cracked the list or or if it did last week at 99 but it's up up to number 98 i've got both of those sitting right here next to me we got to get those games in here happy birthdays Great Western Trail Second Edition has been on there for a year now. The No Dead Eyes one? The the No Dead Eyes one. And for seven years, we've got The Gallerist. Happy birthday. A very happy birthday to them indeed. Well, Patrick, I'm going to do the walkthrough for our next 8-bit review of Princes of Florence. How does that sound? All right. That sounds wonderful. A little time off. Have at it, King. Adventurers! Today in our 8-bit breakdown, we're going to Florence in enticing workers to our piazza in Princes of Florence. Designed by Wolfgang Kramer, Richard Ulrich, and Jens Christopher Ulrich, and our copy was provided to us, was published by WizKids. In this game, your family is trying to lure artists, builders, and scholars to your palazzi to be the most influential family in Florence. In order to do that, you must bid on landscapes and workers and create buildings to house these professionals. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. The first phase of the game is the auction phase. During this phase, you will need to bid on landscapes, builders, jesters, or cards to give you bonus points at the end of the game for completing certain objectives. Landscapes are self-explanatory, but the builders and jesters need a little more discussing. I'll get to that in a minute. Each auction phase starts at 200 florins. Each player can increase that by 100 each time it comes to them. If someone passes, they are out of that turn of the auction. If you win, you then pay the bank the amount owed. And yes, you can bid more than you actually have if you want something bad enough, but it might hurt you in the long run. If you're lucky enough, that item you want is still there after everyone bids. You don't have to fight for it. It's yours for 200 florin. Done. After you complete the auction phase, you can place your landscape, builder, or jester in their position on the player's board. Now we move into the action phase, and this is where things get a little crazy. The other side of the main board has a number of buildings on it you can purchase. These are Tetris-style pieces you must fit on your player board. The price of these is 700 florin. Remember those builders? Well, if you have one, you only pay 300 florin. If you have two, guess what? You can place all your buildings next to each other, ignoring the rules. You have all three? You don't have to pay a thing for your buildings. Nice to have friends in construction. 
Where things get a little crazy is hiring professionals to your Palazzi. These professionals want certain things so they can tap into their creativity. Each round, you have a certain work value you must meet or beat in order to lure professionals to your board. The first round is nine. So here is how this works. Stick with me, it's worth it. For having a landscape that they like, this gives you three towards your work value. Having a building they prefer to work in, you get four. Already, you're at seven of that nine. Next, count any recruiting or professional cards you may have in your hand. Those will add one for each one that you have. And to give you a little help, remember those jesters? Professionals like to have fun as well. So for each jester you have, you can add two more to your work value. Each round will increase all the way up to 17 work points for the last round. Everything is very much intertwined with each other in this game, which makes it a little fiddly at times, but elegant at others. I think Patrick has some more thoughts on this, so let's see what we both have to say about Princes of Florence. Florence, Italy is surrounded by gently rolling hills that are covered with villas and farms, vineyards and orchards. Florence was founded as a Roman military colony, and during its long history it has been a republic, a seat of the Duchy of Tuscany, and a capital of Italy. During the 14th through 16th century, Florence achieved preeminence in commerce and finance, learning, and especially the arts. The geniuses of Florence were backed by persons of towering wealth, and the city to this day gives testimony to their passions for religion, for art, for power, or for money. Among the most famous of the city's cultural giants are Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Dante, Machiavelli, Galileo, and its most renowned rulers, generations of the Medici family. Hey, thank you, King, for the walkthrough of today's review game, The Princess of Florence. Now, Adventures, this is an old one. This is an oldie, mm -hmm. but it's been remade, like <laughs> like the uh, the sword of Gondor. It's been redone, reworked, and made <laughs> anew. Uh, so we got Princess of Florence re-released by WizKids, and it's getting today's 8-bit breakdown where we start with the art and components and finish with was it fun and who's it for? Art and components, Scott, what you got? Well, I did not get a chance to play the first one, and I've heard that it's a, a bit of a travesty. A lot of brown, <laughs> a lot of beige, some eggshell just for good measure. Mm -hmm. But the art components in this one, there's something about it I love. The big player boards that you have in front of you that have the characters on it, the characters look great. Just something about the artwork really draws me into it. The Tetris-sized pieces that you have putting in there for the different buildings and the parks and the ponds and the lakes, all those things really look beautiful. The colors are really vibrant. Very, really, yeah. really like this. The one thing I didn't really care for was that you have a lot of the keys of how to play the game on the board, on the main board there. And mm -hmm. it's just done vaguely enough that you're looking at it like, what am I possibly looking at? What hieroglyphic tales of ancient Egypt am I looking at here? Like it's meant but to be a you, reference. Yeah, yeah. And once you go through and see the rule book, it makes complete sense. Everything comes together and ties in together. Once you see all that, it's great. There's one thing on the character boards 
that I'll touch on a little bit later on here with the numbers on the side that was both really aggravating, but absolutely brilliant. That'll hit on another one. So let me hear your view on the art and components. Well, the obvious comparison, as you alluded to, is to the old version, which, Scott, it wasn't just brown on brown. It, it wasn't just a travesty as far as the color choices. Like, the cards were thin and flimsy, and the artwork on it was like, think think charcoal sketch or pencil sketch <laughs> on it. So, like, you had two colors, the brown of the card and the black of the pencil sketch and the mm. name. And, dude, the names were, like, cursive, and they were kind of hard to read. Like, oh. I can read cursive, right? But it was, like, trying to be fancy to the point where it was like, okay, I have to, like, translate what, what the hell this card actually does. The insert, like, first of all, it wasn't terribly functional, but it was also that, like, super thin plastic that, like, you feel like if you crinkled it a little bit, it could get a crack or tear. Wow. It yeah. just wasn't very well produced. Total 180. Total 180. Now, let's make it clear, and we don't like to talk value all that often, but this isn't a $100 production. I'm guessing MSRP is going to be 50 or 60 bucks. You know, standard, standard medium size box. Think your ticket to ride size box. Uh, that's mm -hmm. probably what this is going to cost. And the production's fantastic. The tiles are nice and chunky. I like the discs, the nice little wooden discs that match your yes. player pawn, and the pawn, the the marker pawn, it's kind of like an old school pawn, like a chess pawn. So it still yep. has that classic game feel to it. The art on the cards, which is wonderful. And they're all different. All those little like projects that you can do, you know, you, you send this person to work and, and just very well done. The color choices were fantastic. I like when you get vibrant and pastel against white which they did mm. here. I think that has a really clean look. And I think that uh, basically no points off on art and productions. I thought it was very well done. And must thank Mitch from WizKids Games as well, who did provide this copy for us. Oh, yeah. So thank we should you, have, Mitch, We have let off with that, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're new at this whole thing of getting games. It's, it's, I'm still surprised when we get one. It is still new to us. Scott, let's go to bit number two, the theme and immersion. So thematically... You know what? I guess we're like artisans in Italy trying to build, like make a, a nice landscape with stuff. You know, I, prior to doing this 8-bit breakdown, I went to look up like, okay, what am I going to talk about with theme? Oh, I should probably point out what the theme is. And when I go to the BGG page, it just says, here's how you play, basically. <laughs> But we're clearly in Italy and we're trying to get work done and we need to establish this landscape in order to do so. If we wanna if we wanna have like the teacher, we're gonna need the study or the university, that sort of thing. Theme and immersion. Tell me, what you think? Well, with the whole thing here, you are trying to invite all these creative people into your piazza in order to make it flourish uh, as as much of a flourish in Florence as you possibly can. The artwork, I feel, is immersive. You get the jesters that will draw in the artistic crowd. You get the builders that will help build the buildings. You get the buildings themselves. You do get the idea that you are building this. But on the same hand, you could pretty much put any theme on this game that you would want to. And sure, sure. And just use the same mechanics. You could be building a spaceport somewhere on the moon. You could be doing some sort of undersea village or something like that. So there's a lot of things you could do with this. So it's not like this theme is intrinsically attached to this mechanic of this game and will never be torn asunder. 
but it still does a great job with the artwork, as I said earlier, of drawing you into this little portion of Italy that you're trying to build things in. Sure, sure. I like the idea that you're adding builders. You get a little builder and put it on your player board. And it's like, oh, I got that guy now. There's a little stage area for whenever you get jester tokens. Mm -hmm. You put them on your stage. Like if you just put it into like a square on your player board. Okay, whoop-de-doo. You put them on the stage. It's little stupid crap like that that I actually appreciate whenever it comes to theme. And, and they've got it there. Uh, to your point, it is kind of a, a numbers game. Uh, there's the bidding phase. Uh, it, there's economics going on here. So there is mm -hmm. keen attention paid to how much money you have, what you want to bid for. But ultimately, it's I want to bid for the forest because I need the forest to play this card because if I play this card, I'll get this many points and I can convert some of that to money. You know what I mean? It, your brain has it has the task of keeping up with what's going on in the game. Therefore, it's hard to spend some brain power floating around in the theme of it. I would say that this is not uh, – I, I would not call this a theme-forward game. What they right, did right. with it I think is elegant. I think it's nice. But no one's picking this up and playing it because they want to be a builder in old Italy. <laughs> Dude, I, well, my thoughts anyway. Yeah, well, hey, I got gotcha. you. So I'm going to jump in here with number three, with the complexity. All right. Um, the initial look can be intimidating with this game. And I, I mentioned that earlier. But after the, you get through the rules, it makes a lot of sense. Everything flows together. You see where things come in together, what piece goes to this, what piece goes to that, in order to make the bigger puzzle. The scoring, though, I think is a little fiddly, where you put your pawn down as to how many points you got, but then you can return that and get so many florins for it, but then you can also get points for it. So it's a little fiddly with that whole thing there. But once you get a few plays in, you get the flow and you understand exactly what you want to do. Mm -hmm. But I think they could have done this a little more streamlined or something to make it a little bit easier. It's not difficult by any means. It could have been a little bit clearer, a little bit... Uh, intuitive, if you will. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You know, BGG has this as a three point two four. Now, I don't know how much weight you, dear adventurer, put into the weight rating that BGG assigns. But that's uh, typically whenever you look up a game and you see weight, that means how complex is this game? And with two and a half being about okay, this is mid weight. Uh, the higher you go, the closer to five, the more heavy, the more difficult, the more complex this game is. This one comes with a 3.24 inferring that it's on the upper end of that midweight, maybe even the low end of heavyweight. And I think maybe, you know, what, upper end of medium weight is probably fair. You've got a lot of mechanisms yeah. at play here, starting with the bidding, all right? You have to, you have to assign a value. You don't, you don't actually assign a value in the game, but in your mind, you have to come up with how much you value a jester versus a builder. You have to have a reason why you're bidding for that. And then you have to bid an appropriate amount. And sometimes you don't want a thing, but do you bid anyway, just to see if you can upbid someone else, make them pay a little bit more. It's got that. And then you've got to place things, uh, polyominoes into your palazzo. It's got that going on. You're trying to set collect so that you can play a work. It has that going on. You know, there are, there are enough mechanisms at play that I do think this is an upper medium. I don't think it's super complex. So let's get right to bit number four, the rule book and the learning curve. Why don't you do the rule book? Cause that was on you and I'll take the curve. Well, the rule book, it's very easy to understand. They go through things very well as well as great examples, which is so important in games, really. I think 
you can watch a video, but if you put in a couple well-defined examples in a rule book, you can mm-hmm. skip the video completely and go right into playing. The only thing that bothered me was on the player cards, you have this one little section on the side with all these numbers, 1 through 24, I think it is, and all the symbols for the different pieces of the puzzles, different numbers associated with it. I could not find anything in that rule book as to what that was. And it's just freaking me out, trying to figure out why do they have this on here? But, man, I'm just doing this. But wait, there's more. I'm going to discuss that in the next bit here. So I'm going to lead it off to you. What did you You're think all about, about the learning curve? today? Well, what you what Scott was alluding to is it's basically a player aid. So you have your 24 different cards. Each of them need various resources. And it's the game's way of showing you that like, oh, that gigantic forest, there are six different cards you can draw that want that. So like card number one, it lists what building it wants to see. For extra points, it lists mm-hmm. what landscape it wants to see. It lists what freedom it wants to see. Basically, it breaks down everything that you would need for card number one, and then two, then three, then four, then five. And it's tiny. It looks like this wall of information, like what you call them, hieroglyphs, right? Because that's kind of what yeah. it looks like. But all it is is a means of me to say, okay, I see that this tiny little thing, it doesn't take up much space. I like that. How many people need it? Oh, only three. Okay. So that's what that's there Mm -hmm. for. Learning curve, you're going to get this. I mean, if you're a gamer, you're going to get this after like two rounds. All you got to see is one person uh, put out a work and get a card down, collect the points for it, trade in some for money, and you know how to play this game. There aren't just, there just aren't any hidden secrets. You know, it's all up front. Once you've played a round, maybe two, you're going to know what you're doing. Bit number five, the meat king. That is where I'm going to say is the meat of the game. The problem that I spoke about with all those things on the side there. Yes, they show you what is needed for each profession that you want to put in there. And that Mm -hmm. is such a great tool to have right in front of you. And it's not one of those things where you have to sit there and math it out in your head and figure out, well, this one needs this, this one needs this, this one needs this. You can look at that and see immediately, if I get this pond... That opens up six different professions for me. Mm -hmm. If I get this forest, well, that opens four up for me. So it really helps you decide how much you want to bid for things then. The other thing that is very interesting with this is how you put together bringing in the professions. Mm -hmm. Because there's Mm -hmm. a whole calculation of what you have to do here. Now, the numbers that are along the side, they coincide with the different professions. So, number one may be a poet. So, you look at the poet's card, and there's that number one on there. In order to get the poet, you need to have a, I don't know if it's a school or what it is, or a a theater, we'll say. Well, if you have a theater, that's four points, because you have to have a certain amount of culture points to draw people in. So, you have a theater. Well, that poet gets four points right there. You have two other cards in your hand, two other professions that are interested in coming in there. Well, that draws me in. Hmm, That's kind of cool. All right, that adds two more. So now we're up to six culture that are drawing you in. Oh, you have a forest nearby? Oh, that's another one. That's going to add in things. And things add on. You have the jesters. You have the builders. The jesters do the plus two, yeah. You want to add all these things together to build this big pot of culture to lure in these professions to come to your piazza to be part of your community. 
the mechanics of this where whenever I first looked at it, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. And just now I'm having this clarity of thought when I'm going through like, my God, they're building this, this bowl of culture to draw people in here. And I am going to trademark that bowl of culture. <laughs> so don't try and use that. Just the whole idea of how you get the pieces together and how they add up to make it an interesting place for people to kind of work. That is such a huge part of this game. I'm going to go one different. I'm going to say the bidding. You know, if we had to identify one aspect, you could say, oh, well, it's it's placing the polyominoes. I think for me with the cards, with those, with the professions that you're trying to play, rather than trying to like, okay, I'm going to get a forest and then I'm going to try and draw the profession that needs it. You start yeah. the game with a couple in hand and, you know, rather than try to seek out things that need the stuff I'm buying, I'm going to buy the stuff for the cards in my hand, you know, and go mm -hmm. the opposite way. And if that pigeonholes me and I can't seem to find another, you know, or I got to do a lot of digging to find a profession that fits what my first two did, well, then so be it. I think a lot of it comes down to bidding early on. You can you can find a few different ways to play this game. You could go with a builder and you could be the only person to get the builder in round one. And then you have this tremendous benefit for getting you know, not your second, but your third one. So if you get one builder, you can just call it quits there. But if you get a second one, you absolutely want a third. It's free buildings, mm -hmm. right? And I'm kind I, I know that you have to do professions, but the buildings being three points apiece, I feel like you can do a profession or two less than other people just because you went the builder route. The jesters, they give you plus two whenever you're trying to build up. How many points do I have worth of culture for this profession being played? Mm -hmm. If you start with a jester, like there's never a reason to not go for a jester because everybody's oh, no. going to be going for professions. If you get one, it's like, oh, but what if I get a second one? Oh, but what if I get a third one? You know what I mean? Like you can just guarantee that you're going to be able to play anything late in the game. And that's kind of cool. There is – anytime you have bidding in a game, there's a sub game that happens. Can I bid them up? How badly does he want this? Mm -hmm. Ooh, but I don't want to bid him up because I don't want to get stuck with that. <laughs> I love that interplay between the players, especially in like a four-player game where you're going around the table and it's like, yes. well, they're all three still in. Okay, fine. I'll go 600. Pass, pass, pass. Oh, God, did not see that coming. <laughs> I think that's a lot of fun. So uh, for me, I think that the meat is playing well in the bidding portion of the game, that first round. Bit number six, the replayability and variability. All right. I'm not sure what I was writing here, but the first thing that comes onto my page here is I feel this one. I feel I'm going to be playing it a good deal. I like okay. this game. You have enough options to play this game over and over. And you also have bonus cards in here that give you enough goals to keep it fresh. Yeah. Where if you get so many of a, of force, you get two points extra for each force that you have. You have mm -hmm. a lot of bonus points with that. Plus, there's a mini expansion in this as well, too, that you can add on to it and make it even bigger. There's just something about this. I think that you really nailed it on the head. The auction mechanism with this is something that is, really works out well. You just increase by 100 each time. That's all you can increase by. It's not like, all right, I bid 200. All right, I bid 800. Boom, I won it. That's it. No, it has to go up by 100. So you have that tense moment as yeah. it goes along. Yes. Mm -hmm. As it builds up, it's like, is it going to still be here? Am I going to pay too much for it? I really think I'm going to be playing this a lot. I like this game a lot. Variability. I mean, you're going to be doing basically the same thing over and over. 
but the amount of decisions that the other players are bringing into this game that you're going to be playing against, that's where you get the variability at. I really dig this game a lot. I really do like this one. What did you think? Well, you're right about variability. It's definitely a well, – there aren't a whole lot of branches on the strategic tree. Boy, I'm loving that analogy today. Yeah. I'm all about branches <laughs> and trees. But seriously, like if you if you want to go heavy builders, that's one strategy. If – well, really aside from that, early game, you want to get the things that will let you play – the, the works, the, the professions yeah. in your hand. You're not going to go for an endgame scoring card in that first round of bidding. It's probably foolish. You're not going to go for one of those yellow cards either that say, you know what, that profession that someone else played, I'm going to take that into my hand. You're, you're not taking that in the first round. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to go for either a builder, a jester, or a landscape. Pretty much every game, right. I think. And then everybody's going to be building a building in that second round. And some folks will be able to pull off a profession then. Some will have to wait until after that. But typically, I think that there is a, here's what you do in the early game. Here's what you do in the mid game. And like yeah. late game, well, it makes perfect sense. People are going to be bidding for that green card. Well, Pat, doesn't that mean that you should have gone for the green card in round two when no one wanted it? No, because you won't be in the competition by the time you hit the last <laughs> round, round seven. And you won't care about the green card anyway, because you're done. You're toast. You're down 25 points in a game where the winner scores you know, 65, 75, somewhere in, yeah. in, our, in the few plays that we've had anyway. Um, replayability, though, I think is there. And it's because what you said, the other people. All right, I'm going to lead this game off bidding 200 on a builder. Holy cow, nobody bid me up. All right. Well, mm-hmm. I guess I'm building buildings on a cheap. <laughs> and then next round, when they see me doing it and somebody goes builder, I'm going to be like, I'll go 300, I'll go 400, and I'm going to make them pay for it, right? And that's going to be different. That's going to be different game yeah. game to game. And you know what? If I win that builder at 400, I'm ecstatic. If I don't win it, well, that's okay. You know, I'll get the other thing that I wanted. I like it for that. So I think replayability is there, though the variability is not. And I think maybe a good way to spice it up, and you had alluded to this, the game comes with that mini expansion in the box. Mm-hmm. We have not played it. I was reading over the rules and I was like, Scott, we have got to incorporate this. It basically (laughs) adds another bidding phase. There's other things that you can bid for and they each give you unique abilities. Money's not nearly as plentiful. And one of the things that you can bid for is basically the bank, the the storage pool of money. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I think it's going to spice the game up tremendously in a game where replayability stems from bidding. Adding another phase of it. Yeah. Count me in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Scott, I'll well, lead off downsides because that – no, you stop. I will lead right, off downsides. All right, all right. You be the Debbie Downer then. <laughs> there's – you know what? There's not a lot to complain about, but maybe the fact that you do have a structured beginning, middle, and end game. You know what I mean? You're not going mm-hmm. to play this one and I'm going to do something way off the wall different this time and see if it works because you know what? It ain't going to work. You know what I mean? You, you've got to play ball. <laughs> on the field of play. And to me, that's that's the only thing that I would cite as a downside. And it's so easily fixed by either the mini expansion or you can just, hey guys, start a play. Everybody gets one of these end game bonus cards. Here's an end game goal yeah. card. It just gives you one different thing to shoot for to make this one a little bit different than the last. What do you got for downsides, King? Yeah, as far as downsides, like I said, that whole thing on the side with the hieroglyphics for lack of a better term there, 
that just really got me, and that turned me off this game initially. I was like, oh, this... If they can't even tell me what that is, this is going to be a, a, a horrible game to play. But once I looked up on the internet, I found that everything was great. But it was just that one little thing there, that just that little hiccup that really kind of turned me off because it was so prevalent on the player's card. It was a bit of a just, first impression for you, too. Yeah, yeah. So it was just that doesn't give me a good feeling but i'm glad i powered through it and looked up the stuff because i really truly enjoy this so it's one of those things of not making a good first impression there well then why don't you take bit number eight to lead off was it fun and who's it for if you like auctions this has it if you do not it can be a bit of a slog since that's a big part of your turn the game allows you to amp up the complexity based on what you bring to it Gonna go out and take all the gestures, do it. Make everything without freedoms, do it. You can also add the expansion, like we talked about, that'll dial up the competition some more. This is a game that I truly enjoy. This is a cutthroat game because you have limited resources, you have limited freedoms. Once those freedoms are gone, there's gonna be one person that's gonna be butthurt that doesn't have one. Mm -hmm. Once someone has bid that $200 for a builder and it's gone, that's gone for that whole round. You cannot go back and bid on that again. But there was never a point in time playing this game that I was angry about anything that I missed out. It's fun. And that's what I really liked about it. So if you like those kind of games where it is going to be a competition, but you still mm -hmm. want to enjoy the time with the people that you're playing games with, this is a great game for you. It gives you the competition. It gives you the camaraderie. Yeah, I lost. I, I, I'm, I'm not upset that I lost. I had a damn good time playing this game anyway. So it was just a fun time playing this game. So... I don't think it's good for an entry-level gamer, no. but for a gamer, I would definitely add this to your list or get it on your shelf. It's a fun game. Yeah, King, I had a lot of fun with this one, too. I don't think it's ever going to be like, wow, that's one of my favorite games of all time. And I don't think, leading into you know who's it, who's it for, I don't think most gamers are going to say that was my favorite game of all time. But you know what? I bet they're going to like it. It's got the auctions. It's got bidding. It's got set collecting. It's got playing around with those polyominoes. It's got big payoff turns where you get to play that work that you've been waiting for. And, oh, look, I just shot to the top on my scoring for this turn, so I'm going to get the plus three points. Like, you have those points where you feel really good about what you just did. It's a rewarding game. It doesn't beat you down. And I think for most gamers, you're going to like The Princes of Florence. It was about a year ago that we had a recommendation from the hungry gamer Will Brown to check out a game called Rise of the Gnomes, which I hadn't heard of, and uh, you know I don't think anybody has it in their hotness list. Looking it up on BGG today, I see it has all of a whopping 27 comments. As it turns out, this might be like, in my mind, one of Board Gaming's best kept secrets. I really oh, yeah. like Rise of the Gnomes one year later, so we've got a game where players are kind of, we'll call it a co as Will says. You're, you're working together 
well, you're working against each other. Make no mistake. Mm-hmm. Work placement, area control game. But you've got this, this uh, NPC faction. The game plays the gnomes. And if left unchecked, they will beat the players. Like at some point, you got to be like, all right, man, look. <laughs> <laughs> look, we've been picking on each other here for a bit. We got a greater threat, right? They're, they're the White Walkers from uh, Game of Thrones. Right, they yep, we got to yep. do something about that. Uh, just a fantastic. I, I haven't played this for a long time. I want to get Rise of the Gnomes back. Out. What do you think, Scott? One year later. Yeah, I I think so too. I didn't know what to expect, and the idea of having a competition of, yeah, I was going to say almost a four X type of game, but instead of exploiting or exploring or whatever the other X's are, I can't remember. You're trying to build breweries. And you're trying to build them and take over other lands while these damn little gnomes are doing the same thing against you all. It's just, it's such a unique theme to this game. This is one that's definitely, if someone said, does anyone want to play it? I'm like, you give me a brush up, I'm in. I would love to play this game again. It's got something like 24 different factions in that box. And you'll recall, like, they all have their own special abilities that, oh, yeah. you know, while they while they are similar, the vampires do things that vampires would do, right? The dwarves mm-hmm. do things that dwarves – oh, the vampires, they, they suck the uh, – remove that cube, add one of your own. I like that it's a euro. This is not uh, – yep. there are no dice rolled. You know, nope. you're just playing a Euro game, worker placement predominantly. And I like that those cards order the resolution of the things that people have decided to do. It's not like I'll place my worker here to get this thing now. Everybody places each of their workers and mm-hmm. then you resolve according to that card row. Man, I don't want to play this one again. Rise, I've kept <laughs> it in the collection because I, I know it's not going anywhere. This one, this one's a keeper for me. Yeah, definitely. We got to get that one back to the table. Sounds like one year later, Rise of the Gnomes gets a clear recommendation. A little harder to find. you gotta got to do a little bit of searching for it. It's from August Games, and whew, if you have a chance to play it, I highly recommend it. Definitely. Welcome to another edition of Welcome to Thunderdome. I'm going to put this one on you. I know my answer. I'm not even going to share it. I'm just going to put this one on you. Adventurer Carl hit us with this one. Two games enter, one game leave. Two very different ones, but a similar theme, similar hotness. You ready? Okay, okay. What do we got here? Thunder Road Vendetta. All right, all right. Versus? Uh, Mad Max in plastic. All right, all right. Versus Heat Pedal to the Metal. Oh, Classic formula drive racing. Hmm. Let me clarify this one just a little bit. So they're both in the hotness. They're they're both like games that have sort of taken gaming by storm, but two very different games. You've got this this random Ameritrash brawl of Thunder Road Vendetta. You could be the best player at the table. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. Stuff just happens. It's mayhem. It's chaos. Heat pedal to the metal. It's a little bit more classic. Well, not classic Euro style, but it's a card playing. It's a calculative racing mm-hmm. game. So both very different. It's kind of like the random mayhem versus the calculated, clever card play. Two very different things. The rules for two games enter, one game leave. Scott, as you'll recall, one of them, you will never get to play again. 
The other one, Ooh. you can play at any time. And you say, you know what? I want this to be a three-player game. Three people will show up and they're like, all right, King, let's play. Two games enter, one game leave. Give us your thoughts on Thunder Road Vendetta, Heat Pedal to the Metal, and then give us who's the winner. Wow. You should be in marketing because I had my mind set and then you went through these descriptions and now I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I may be, mm. I may have just jumped to something here before I should have. So <laughs> we've got Heat Pedal to the Metal where you need to calculate how fast you want to go without blowing up. And Thunder Road Vendetta is you just want to go as far as you can and blow as many things up as you possibly can. One I can play anytime, another one I can never play again. Well, I got to go with Thunder Road Vendetta stays. Oh, he is that right? the metal. I, I kind of like Formula D a little bit better. Uh, so I, I got to go with that. Thunder Road Vendetta is going to be sticking around here. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, adventures, we should clarify that, that two games enter one game leave does not mean that the other game is not good. Scott and I, I think we both truly appreciate heat. In fact, are you in the game that we're oh, playing yeah. on BGA right now? Oh, well, in, perfect. So yeah. I'm in three different games of heat on BGA right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there you go. It, it's nothing against heat, but your preference, if you could keep one and have it to play forever, Thunder Road Vendetta gets the win. Oh, what about yours? Oh, I said I wasn't going to share. You want me to share? Oh. Uh, okay. Oh, I put you on the spot, huh? <laughs> you did. You did. I, but I thought about this one. I already have my answer. I'm trying to find a way to to frame it and eloquently say it. You know what? Given the two games, uh, they both do what they're trying to do very well. Thunder Road is trying to be this chaotic slaughterhouse. Right. This, this Super Smash Brothers, things just happen and you're kind of limited in your control and yep, well, so be it. You know, it's it's quick. It's It's a romp. Heat is more of a competition. I can do smart things. I can make clever plays. I can manage the heat that I'm putting into my deck. Ooh, but I got to press my luck a little bit because you know, Ryan's starting to pull away. I'm going to go with Thunder Road Vendetta. What it is trying to do, I think it does better for me yeah, than I what see heat that, yes. is trying to do. Hey, Adventures, Future Patrick from the Editing Booth. This is where I'd normally put in some kind of a transition, but we just got some gold from Scott from that last segment. And I guess one of the benefits of being the guy that has to spend all the time editing is that you get to put together little nuggets like this. So, Future Scott, when you're listening to this, enjoy. I'm in heat. I'm in heat. I, 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 I'm in heat. 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 I, 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 I'm in heat. Well, once or twice in a millennia, there comes a time that many, many combatants come in at once, but only half will leave. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not quite the same as our last segment, is it? No, 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 no. <laughs> so we've come to the point now where we've reviewed 10 games. And what we always do after that is we take five of those games and rank them as our favorite games that we've played over the past 10 games. So, just for those that are playing at home, here are the games that we were able to play and what we're looking at tonight. These are our last Mar 10 reviews. Yes. Marvel Age of Heroes. Marvel Damage Control. War of the Ring, the card game. Guild of Merchant Explorers. 
Dungeons and Dragons Trials of Tempest. Raha! Raha! <laughs> Thunder Road <laughs> Vendetta, Ultimate Railroads, After Us, and Challengers. It counts because it got an 8-bit breakdown. No, yeah, true. Now, do you want to go first, Patrick, or do you want me to go How about I lead so that you can have the last word? You get the final number one of the list. Okay. I will be honest. This is probably the toughest one we've had to do for me. Is that right? Yes. Um, I I had a pretty easy time with four of them, but number five was really, really hard. And I'll start by saying what it wanted to be. It wanted to be Marvel Damage Control because that's very good at what it does. I had a blast Uh playing Marvel Damage Control. Point is, if a game is not in my top five from these ten, that doesn't necessarily – it's not a strike against it because in their own way, I liked all of these. It also wanted to be Marvel Age of Heroes, but the game was just a little bit long for the amount of engagement Mm -hmm. that, that that I was experiencing. So what came out as my number five is challengers one that i don't think is going to make your top five in fact if you had to pick a bottom five this would probably be your number one <laughs> challengers is fun i like it i like that it's addicting i finished the game and i'm like all right let's go again i want to see what i can draw this time oh let's go again i at that time i went heavy orange and i did really great with the teenager and and with the um uh, the necromancer. Oh, I got double AI this game. It's so much fun for that. I like that you have eight people, up to eight people around the table, and I get to play against seven different opponents before we get into that last match. It's great for like that fill in the time in between games. The whole thing can be seven different rounds, and the whole thing can be done in under an hour. I like it for that. So my number five, I went with Challengers. What's your number five, King? My number five is kind of odd because... It blew me away to begin with. That is Rauha. I mm. absolutely love this game. It was just so much fun. I could not stop playing it. And then I had a hard time finding people to play. And then it just kind of fell off my radar. And I haven't gotten back to it. But it's still one that I would play if someone said, hey, let's play Rauha. I'm in, I'm in. But I haven't had a chance to go back and play it. So... I can't say that it's my favorite there because I haven't had a chance to go back and play it. So it's it's kind of unfortunate it fell off my radar as far as things that I would play. But still, it's good enough that it is in my top five. And like you said, I had one that was back and forth with this, and that other one was After Us. So I had a hard time oh, between yeah. those two there. But yeah, uh, After Rahad Us wanted kind of to be on there too. You know, there's yeah. only one game that is like, okay, this will not be my number five spot because six through 10, we're all competing with the exception of number 10. And, and I'll just say, because, you know, we got to calibrate. I did not care for Trials of Tempest long term. I, I thought it was mm-hmm. too long and too many things going on on the board were, yeah, why why even bother doing right. that? But that aside, yeah, my my six, seven, eight, and nine could all have been number five. I agree. This, this was tough for that. My other four, yeah. though, they're a pretty firm order. Okay, okay. Well, let's go to your next one then. My number four is War of the Ring, the card game. This is excellent. It's a lot of fun. I like that you can play 2v2. I like that it is super thematic. You're drawing the cards and you're hearing the music from the film playing. And mm-hmm. Oh, man, I just I Gandalf the Grey. I upgraded him to Gandalf the White. Uh, and the, the places that you're fighting over. and it, Just a thematic romp. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you can't not like War of the Ring, the card game. It was an easy pick for number four. 
What you got at number four, King? Well, it was such an easy pick that I picked it as number four as well. <laughs> Is that right? Okay, great, <laughs> yes. great, great. It's one that I want to pick up the expansion for it. The artwork, the theming of it, how you play the cards, what cards are available at what different time. It takes everything into consideration and really does build the story right in front of you. And it is mm-hmm. amazing how they do that. I got to get it back to the table here sometime soon. Once we get through some more games here and we have a little bit of a breather, that thing's coming back out. And hopefully, though, I'll be able to get a hold of the expansion at PAX and get that and get that to the table as well. So that was number four, War of the Ring, the card game. At number three, I put Ultimate Railroads slash Russian Railroads. We specifically played and reviewed Russian Railroads, but it was the Ultimate Railroads version. Uh, The difference being Ultimate has a couple other ways to play, namely German and Asian Railroads. That aside, Russian Railroads is a great, great Euro game. It doesn't have a ton of variability in that you're playing on the same arc. You have the, the different tracks that you can move up and it's a worker placement game. So, you know, what you opt to do sometimes is going to be limited to what you're able to do. And I like that restriction in a game because you're still able to have fun and do productive things. And then sometimes you're just able to do exactly what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You have those bonus tokens, man. I love when I always say I love when a game makes you or gives you that ability to do something powerful. You feel like, wow, yeah. I'm breaking things right now. And every single one of those tokens in its own way gives you that game breaking oh, ability. Yeah. And in the case of the card, the one that says, you know, you get to pick uh, an endgame bonus card and also one of those eight cards at the, you know, off to the side of the table. And you can mm-hmm. use one of those where you get like your woodworker or get an extra factory marker and two bumps on the factory track. Like, those are asymmetric. So if you get one, nobody else is going to get that. Right. Oh, it's just just a phenomenal game. Uh, there's there's only two in front of it. I think maybe it would rank higher after playing German and Asian railroads, considering that all three are in one box. Long term, that's probably probably going to find its way up to number one. I see that one being a game that I'm coming back to. What's your number three, Scott? My number three was one that you said wasn't under your top five, and that was Marvel Age of Heroes. There was just something with this one, with all the decisions you had in the playing of it. And I think the biggest thing with it was the time frame of what they used the characters from. These were like (laughs) a lot of stuff from... I coughed. I know, I know. I was just waiting until you're done. Don't die. Go ahead. You're a sweetheart. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Take your time. I'm good. I'll be good now. Okay. So, with Marvel Age of Heroes, it hit the time period in the 90s when I was big in the X-Men comics. So, all the stories they were touching on in this game scratched that nostalgic meter in the back of my brain. Loved the idea of it, putting the characters out, trying to get those engines built with it. Where are you going to put stuff? Absolutely loved this game. Like you said, it does get a little fiddly at the end. It goes a little too long at times. But the pregame, getting up to that point, man, absolutely adore that game. Great time. Marvel Age of Heroes is my number three. All right. A little sip of coffee. We're going to be okay to keep going. My number two (laughs) is Thunder Road Vendetta. Scott, this game, you know what? There's... 
I, I guess we have to talk bad on it uh, at some point. And I, I keep thinking that long term, this is probably going to go away because it is mm-hmm. so chaotic. It is so random. And, and the whole ca- like the whole fun of like, oh, you never know what's going to happen. Anyone can win because it's so random and chaotic. Uh, that's eventually going to get old, right? The pieces being like toys, that's eventually going to get old. But you know what? It ain't old yet, and I'm loving it. We had the chance to play with the uh, with the big truck uh, last game day that I had over here. Remember our two table game day? Ryan mm-hmm. had the big truck, and Brian was playing the motorcycles. Motorcycles yes. actually won. They were just zipping along the board, and it came down to like the last <laughs> turn, as it so often does. Uh, just having a, having a really good time with it. I think having the expansions helps. You know, the base box is fine. It is a lot of fun, but. You will, after four, five, six games, be like, no, it's kind of the same thing. They do have the little road hazard cards. They have the driver cards. But Mm -hmm. the expansions add things like the chop shop. They add fire. They add the motorcycles. There's just enough that it's like, man, I could switch this up every time and keep it fresh. And maybe maybe when I say, oh, maybe a downside is it like two years from now, will I still be playing it? Maybe that's the key that'll keep it on the table. For now, it's number two of the last 10 that we reviewed. What's yours? My number two is an interesting thing here because this is one that I don't know I would go out of my way to play it that often. It wouldn't be on my shelf right next to my table, ready to grab and play at a moment's notice. But I truly appreciate what it brings to the game. And that is the Ultimate Railroads or Russian Railroads. Mm -hmm. There are so many things in this, so many decisions to make in this game. Even if you think that, oh, God, I have no chance of doing anything. There's still something you can do. Even if it's not game-changing, there's still something you can do each and every turn. I can't even imagine what the flowchart of decisions are like for this game whenever they're designing this game because there's so many different ways you can go. How did they balance all this stuff? How did they get everything to work out correctly? They bring a lot to this game, and I truly appreciate what they put into it, and that is why it's my number two, Ultimate Railroads. You know, just hearing you talk about it, I should have mentioned like, oh, the engineers are going to switch the game up every time. Oh, I think you could win just pushing the factory track. Oh, what if you went with the third rail instead of the the first one? You know, like you go for Kiev instead. Oh, boy, we got to play again, Scott. (laughs) Definitely. I'm up for it. Number one of the last 10 games that we reviewed, for me, a bit of a surprise. And you know what? I'm writing my list and it's like, is this really, is this it? Is this the one? Man, we got heavy hitters here. There's Ultimate Railroads. There's War of the Ring. Is this Mm -hmm. really the, well, War of the Ring, the card game. Is this really the number one? Is this the one that I liked the most? And it is, and it's. I'm starting to wait, 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 wait. I'm wondering if I chose the same one. Oh, Okay. Boy, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be a pat on the back for this game? Hold your thoughts. And if you chose the same one, tell me whenever we get to you. I'm going to say my number one of the last 10, Guild of Merchant Explorers. This game is great. It's fantastic. You've got the different boards that you can play on. It's kind of a roll and write, which you know me, Scott. I'm like rolling right. Nah, no, thank you. I don't want to play bingo right now. They don't 
do much for me. This game does a ton for me. You feel like you're exploring, you're progressing, you're scoring points for all sorts of little things. You've got the random treasures that you're pulling. And just as soon as you're like, ah, man, I feel like I've done this enough. Flip it over. Brand new map. I love that. I hope that they make expansions for this game because I want to keep playing it. This was one that when we were talking about what games are we going to demo at PGX, I actually reached out to AEG and I was like, you know, if you guys can send me like three copies so I can get a 12 player game going, I'll feature this as the demo that we'll run at PGX and we'll just, we'll play it three or four times and, you know, we'll have tables filled up with people playing Guild of Merchant Explorers. And they were like, no, you guys aren't big enough. (laughs) (laughs) no no it wasn't like that actually i I know vlad from aeg and he said we we actually don't have many review copies or giveaway copies of of that game specifically you know thank you so much we appreciate it you know we can send you this one if you want i was like ah that's yeah that's okay i just i really want to go to merchant explorers to show off because i like it that Mm. much it's my number one of the last 10 what's your number one king AEG, you should have sent us some copies here because I would have pushed Gilded Merchant Explorers as well. Yes! Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's one that I was just like going through here. I had a hard time getting this order put out. And as you're talking, nothing even came up about this game. And I'm fiddling through here and I'm just like, yeah, I think that is my number one game. It is like a roll and write game, but without the destruction of paper afterwards that you throw things away. You just have the cubes, you take them off, put them away, start over again. This thing is, oh my God. I mean, it's infinitely expandable. The number of satisfying game. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The number of expansions they can make on this just by printing different maps and giving a couple different buildings on it the only thing that was a pain was the coins Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they're meant to be kept secret they're all the same size and one side is blank so you either have to make the piles ahead of time and even if you do that everybody's got them in front of them face down and you say you know what just don't look around the table trying to calculate what other people have right right go with go with some other game coin But I think the thing that I like is whenever you're done and you look at that map, you do feel like you've been exploring and you've gone out and you've you've searched out these ruins. You've checked out these sunken ships. You've done all this stuff and you look like you've really done something whenever you see the game when it's done. So, yeah, Guild of Merchant Explorers. I was sure when I made my list, I was like, okay, so I'll put Guild because there's no way Scott's going to have that there. And I love it that much. And I'm so pleased. I'm so, boy, if that isn't an endorsement, Guild of Merchant Explorers is great. Yes. All right, adventurers. Well, we've come to the end of yet another episode. <sighs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Well, it's that time whenever we like to take a look at our past week and see how we leveled up in real life. So... Patrick, why don't you let us know how you leveled up? Oh, big level up in the hobby, Scott. This this is a first for me. I have finished painting the Wolfenstein board game. All of Woo-hoo! the terrain, all of the baddies, all of the goodies. Now, I didn't do the expansions. I, I know, and I'm not going to. I told my wife like a <laughs> month ago. I was. I, I would bet that I spent two hours a night. If you did it in a row, it was probably something like 
a month, maybe 30 nights of two hours a night. And that's not mm -hmm. counting the gluing and assembling of all the pieces. Never again will I uh, be painting an entire game. But I've done all the painting. I've done all the washing of the minis. I've done all the bases. Everything looks crystal clear. I put a video up on the PGX site like, hey, looks if you're coming, we got awesome. a real treat. We're going to be showing people how to play this one. And, you know, it, it, it's just going to be perfect for this convention. I'm so excited to be able to show it off and play it. And hopefully we'll be able to give a little breakdown of the gameplay in the near future after that. But that's my level up was finishing painting Wolfenstein, the board game. King, how'd you level up? My level up, I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier and why my mind was so many different places this past week. Kind of a sad thing. Very favorite, favorite artist of mine passed away, Jimmy Buffett. I'm a huge parrot head, as you can tell by the many Hawaiian shirts I wear all the time. He passed away suddenly, and it came really as a surprise. And I know whenever I came over to your game day, I was completely out of it. I mean, you could Ruined tell everything. I was. I oh yeah, I was. I was in a really <laughs> horrible mood that Friday. I spent I don't know how much time just thinking, listening to music, and then starting tearing up and all these things. It was just really a rough, rough time because his music has meant so much to me and did so much for bad decisions I've made through my life, but ended up with really great stories. The level up is just knowing that I've had 30 plus years of listening to Jamie Buffett and he meant so much to me and sail on, sailor. Adventures, you're going to hear it again if you're going to be in the Pittsburgh area. We've got the Monroeville Convention Center for PGX. It's the Retro Gaming Convention. Half video games, half tabletop. That's going to be September 30th and October 1st. Tickets are cheap. Come by the booth for Level Up and we'll play you at class. We'll get you raffle tickets. Last week, we featured a side quest on the game Challengers. We break down our thoughts. Do we love it? Do we hate it? Next week, keep your ears open. We've got another side quest. Boy, which, we're working hard, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> we're really pushing it. One of our favorite games, Obsession. I think you and I both put it at number two or three in our top 10 of all time. The oh, designer, yeah. Dan Halligan, he's got an expansion. The character's expansion is going to be coming out soon. He's on the show with us. So we get to, we get to grill Dan Halligan. That's going to be so exciting. You don't want to miss it. King, you get the last word. Well, hey, I got to take uh, the words from Jimmy Buffett. I'd rather die while I'm living than live while I'm dead. So take every moment you got and live it to the most. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, Always do what you can to level up.